DiscerningHearts.com presents Inside the Pages, insights from today's most compelling authors. I'm your host, Chris McGregor, and I am delighted to be joined by Father Timothy Gallagher, who is a member of the Oblates of the Virgin Mary, a religious community dedicated to retreats and spiritual formation according to the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola. He is the author of numerous books on the spiritual teachings of St. Ignatius of Loyola and the Venerable Bruno Lanteri, founder of the Oblates of the Virgin Mary. He is featured on several EWTN series, including Living the Discerning Life. With Father Timothy Gallagher, we go inside the pages of When You Struggle in the Spiritual Life, An Ignatian Path to Freedom, published by Crossroads Publishing. Welcome, Father Gallagher. Thank you, Chris. Always happy to be here. What a joy to talk about when you struggle in the spiritual life, an Ignatian path to freedom. That's what it is, isn't it? Yes, what he does is to step into the daily experience of all of us. And we're all well aware that there are times of energy in the spiritual life when God feels close and prayer is alive and we look forward to the new steps. And then, as I say in the book, for reasons we often don't understand, the bottom seems to drop out of that energy. And then it's the other way around. It's hard to even want to pray. And if I can say this reverently, maybe we don't pray or Mm -hmm. pray less or less well than we are really wish we did, the energy for those new steps and involvement in the parish and living our vocation more deeply, all of that energy seems to wane. Because we don't understand it, we don't really know how to respond to it. And Ignatius then enters into this arena of our daily up and down spiritual experience, which precisely because it's daily, is it's undramatic. Most of the time, we don't even know how to talk about it until Ignatius gives us a vocabulary but it's very real and it really matters a lot in the spiritual life. Ignatius enters into this area and brings clarity and having brought clarity gives us a set of tools to know how to respond to it. You know, it's many years now, and of course we've been talking about this in other settings, uh, many years that I've been sharing this and I just really love what it's about. It is finally, as you said, it's about freedom. It's about setting captives free, free from these discouraging lies and tactics of the enemy free from that and free for the following of the Lord they love. It's a beautiful thing. Every rule in the discernment of spirits, whether it's the 14 found in the first week, the vernacular we're speaking about, I'm sure we'll break open a little bit more later, but every one of them is an essential gem. And because we're eager to understand, we're eager to get on that road and to look at the map, we might have the feeling sometimes or the enthusiasm or the zeal that we will rush through the first couple steps and go to maybe the fifth rule or the seventh rule or whatever that might be and miss that starting point, that foundation that's found in rule one, but really at its core, rule two. In one sense, you can't go wrong, you know, whatever rule you learn in whatever order, every one of them is useful. And so in whatever order you learn them, uh, they're, they're going to be a blessing. But obviously, there's a reason why Ignatius wrote them in the order that he did. And learning them with a, a certain systematic approach is probably going to be helpful. And that's all the more true with respect to these first two rules, because Ignatius added those later. 
when he realized that we needed to get the groundwork clear before we could move into applying the tools that he supplies so abundantly later on. So in the first rule, he looks at how the good spirit and the enemy, good spirit, God, the Holy Spirit, the good angels, the rich work of grace in us as a legacy of um, a fruit of, of baptism, good influences around us in the world, and by enemies, Satan and his associated fallen angels, the wound of concupiscence, that weakness as a legacy of original sin, and then all the harmful influences around us. And let's, be, let's just say this because this is so important. Both of these actors, if I'll use Ignatian vocabulary now, the good spirit and the enemy, they're both real. They both act. Both are important. Both need to be understood in the spiritual life. But they are not equal parts. The enemy is, yes, of a higher order than we, but still no more than a fallen creature. And the good spirit is the infinite, eternal, omnipotent, endlessly faithful, present, loving Savior and God. So that's why this is a whole spirituality of hope. It is all about freedom. You know, that's why the subtitle is there, An Ignatian Path to Freedom. An Ignatian. It's about setting us free from these discouraging lies and tactics of the enemy. All right. So when a person is heading away from God, living a life of pretty confirmed serious sin, the enemy will encourage that through filling the imagination with images of sensual pleasures and so on. Obviously, an effective tactic if a person does not resist it. And the good spirit will create a discomfort, a stinging and a biting. Ignatius says, somehow I'm not happy. Why am I living like this? And anyone, if I may say it reverently, who's been there at some point in his or her life now looks back on that stinging and biting with great gratitude because that's what brought the person back to God. Right, that's the first rule, but our focus in this book is its counterpart, the second rule, which is probably the situation of anybody listening uh, even now um, or at some future time to this conversation. That is, a person who, yes, with all of our human weaknesses, the just one falls seven times a day, we read in the book of Proverbs, and there's a reason for, this, uh, for the sacrament of confession and, uh, and things of this sort. You know, we all need to grow, but sincerely, loves God, is a person of faith, wants to be faithful to God, wants to live according to the teaching of Jesus, wants to be loving, and encounters the ups and downs of the spiritual life that we've just described. So the second rule focuses on this person and clarifies, and that's why I think it really did merit a separate book, the four ways in which the enemy is going to try to discourage the person from moving forward in this direction and the five ways in which the good spirit is going to try to encourage the person. All of us have experienced all of this. This is undramatic, ordinary, daily. And as I said before, precisely because of that very, very important spiritual experience, because this is how we live almost all of the spiritual life. And the marvelous gift of this rule too, is that Ignatius in a matter of about five or six lines of text can enter into this and clarify fundamentally what's going on. Now, because Ignatius is so succinct and so uh, writes in such a packed way without a single excess word, it does need to be unpacked. And that's what this little book attempts to do. What I found marvelous about it as I read it, it doesn't matter where you are in the spiritual life, I think, because it's apropos to daily living. We can experience the challenges that are articulated here. And you can always go back to and look at what's going on with Rule 2 and those varying tactics, which you spoke of, of the good spirit, but also of the bad spirit. And it can help your vision, can it, of what's going on? 
Absolutely. And I'd say it even a little more strongly. It's not only that we can experience these tactics that I've just made, but named, but we do experience them. And we experience the strengthening tactics of the good spirit and uh, are grateful for those. We also experience the attempts of the enemy to discourage us in his four tactics. And I, I you know, I'll just keep saying this every time I talk about these rules. It is because it is so important. There is no shame in experiencing these discouraging tactics of the enemy. There's no fault in it. There's certainly no sin in it. It's simply a tactic of the enemy, which we need to be aware of. We need to understand and then know how to take action to reject. But the fact that we experience the enemy's biting and saddening and obstacle-placing action and disquieting with false reasons, these four tactics of the enemy, not only is there no shame in it, but this is just what it means to live the spiritual life in a fallen, redeemed, and loved world. What matters is to be aware of what's going on and to know how to respond to it. So not only can we experience these, we do. Uh, As I've said in other settings, I've been teaching these rules to groups now uh, probably for about 35 years in every setting you can imagine in this country and elsewhere. And uh, I have never yet had a single person say to me when I go through these tactics of the enemy and the good spirit, I don't know what you're talking about. Everybody does. What's happening is that for most of us, I include myself in this for the first time, Someone is explaining to us what we've always been experiencing and just haven't known how to get a hold of. And that's the thrill of it. It's the thrill of now I understand a key part of my experience, which is the deepest, the spiritual part where we relate to God, that I just didn't understand before. It was all happening. But now, now I see what's happening, which sets me free to start taking action with regard to it. Again, that's why understanding this second rule is so valuable because this is exactly what happens in the spiritual life. And I think as people go through the book or whatever we'll be talking about here, I think people are going to have that same experience that I and that all of us have that, oh yeah, oh yeah, that clicks. Yeah, I've been there. Oh, now I understand. Uh, Again, the name of the book is When You Struggle in the Spiritual Life, an Ignatian Path to Freedom. And I think it's such an important book to have. It's not a big book, but it's one that contains so much wisdom that I would say it is essential, especially for someone who is trying to enter more deeply into that relationship with God. It's interesting. You mentioned what I've called in the past when we've had our conversations, the big three, to be aware, understand, take action. Once you do that, that's like almost like the little bit of a key. You have to stop, be aware, and to understand and to take action. Well, you know, the image that's going through my mind as you're speaking is here is somebody who is trying to learn how to play baseball, make it any sport you want, football, anything. The first thing that a person does is to explain the rules of the game. If you don't know the rules of baseball, let's say, and the batter hits the ball, let's say it's a foul ball. You, you don't know how to respond because you don't know what's just happened, you know, whether it's a fair ball or a foul ball, and so on through the whole sport. Once you get the rules clear, then you can start moving forward. You understand what's going on and you know how to respond to it. And this is what these rules do. They give you the basic rules, the basic uh, understanding of what happens in the daily spiritual life, which, as I continue to say, sets you free to respond to it. It's very hard to live the spiritual life when we don't know the ground rules of the spiritual life, how the different actors who are real, not equal parts, but are real and important, 
uh, how, how to understand what they're doing. Everything changes when you do. And that's why rules, this word that maybe 30, 40 years ago, we shied away from, you know, it kind of oppressive, live free or die, don't tread on me, all mm-hmm. of this kind of American ethos. Rules are becoming very popular today because there is so much chaos around us that something solid that gives you a basic understanding and clarifies how to respond to a situation in a way that is helpful, uh, that begins to get more and more precious. So what Ignatius does in very essential, short statements, he sets out the basic rules for understanding the daily ups and downs of spiritual experience. And rule two is, as you said earlier, it is fundamental because on the basis of that, then the rest of the rules that follow make sense. You've outlined so beautifully Ignatius's teachings on the four tactics of the enemy, but also the five tactics of the good spirit. Now, to give people a little bit of a snippet of what this means, when we talk about the four tactics of the enemy, in the book you've outlined that the enemy says he will, quote, bite, sadden, and place obstacles, disquieting with false reasons. And you know, I think most of us, when we are able to get a copy of the book and we'll I'll be able to dive into a little more deeply, we'll begin to understand how the enemy can bite or cause a sadness inside of us or place obstacles. And I think that's important. But can you, for the purpose of our conversation today, help us to understand that disquieting with false reasons? I think sure. that is a real tricky one, isn't it? Mm. As, as always with Ignatius, every word is packed. So in this particular tactic of the enemy, the enemy is speaking to our thoughts. It's about reasons that the enemy brings. And because the enemy, as Jesus says, is the liar and the father of lies, when the enemy brings reasons, they're going to be false reasons. There's not going to be truth in them. Maybe a grain of truth, but twisted so much that it becomes a lie or maybe just an outright lie. And the affective consequence, the heart level consequence of these false reasons, which the enemy will be propose, is to disquiet our hearts, is to trouble our hearts. So this tactic of the enemy is present when we find ourselves thinking in ways that are false. We may not see it immediately. This is where the be aware and understand so forth that we talked about before comes into it. And they trouble our hearts. So here is a person who is maybe after some time when he's been kind of lackadaisical about his faith, uh, it's getting stronger now. For the past six months, maybe he's been uh, or she's been just more faithful to Sunday Mass now. It's becoming a regular practice. And uh, some habits which are not good are being removed. I'll say his life. And he loves what's happening. And then this is the example that, that, uh, that I use. He's at Sunday Mass. And the priest warmly encourages in his homily, his parishioners, to spend 10 minutes every morning praying with the daily readings. He's never done that. He's never really read the Bible very much, but he loves what's happening in his spiritual life, the new peace and strength that he's feeling and the wonderful impact on his marriage and his family. There's a kind of joy in his heart at the thought, you know, if, if, if all of this is happening when I'm just getting closer to Sunday Mass now and what would happen if I spent these 10 minutes each day? And you know, I can, because my wife's been doing this for years. All I have to do this evening when the children are sleeping, I'll ask her. She'd love it. She'll show me how to get started and I'll start tomorrow. Okay. 
day goes along. Maybe there are some ups and downs in the course of the day. We get toward the evening. Now, some of that uh, energy that was there in the morning has waned. He's a little less sure about speaking with his wife. You know, maybe I'm just going to embarrass both of us. I've never read the Bible. How do you know you're even going to be able to make sense out of this? You get these enthusiasms. They don't last. This is actually the enemy placing obstacles. It's the third of the fourth tactics. But then some other troubling, to use Ignatius' word, disquieting thoughts start to come. You know, if you want to be really honest with yourself, you know what this is really about? You're in competition with your wife. She's been the spiritual one, and you've been the one that's been on the margin. You kind of want to even the playing field here a little bit. This is really more about you than it is really about seeking God. And if you really want to be honest, you'll recognize that you want the children to see you as as a, as spiritual as their mother is. And you won't admit this, but there's also this thought lurking in your mind that, you know, your in-laws have never really thought you were solid, you know, enough in your faith as your, your their daughter merited. You'll finally start to get maybe a little more respect from them. If you want to be really honest, this is really more about you than it is about anything else. Now you can see none of that was present that morning at mass when the homily. So it's all false. So these are reasons that are false reasons and they're troubling, they're disquieting reasons. And that this is this tactic of the enemy to try to discourage a person who is growing toward God in a beautiful way. So Ignatius' answer to that is be aware. Okay, wait a second, something going on here. Understand, you know what? This isn't right. None of this was here this morning. And when it was so clear to me that the Lord was inviting me to take the next step, inviting me in my prayer. And you know what? I'm just going to dismiss all of this and I'm going to speak to my wife exactly as I had planned. So that's the taking action and rejecting the tactic of the enemy. But we can find this tactic present in a lot of settings. When people don't know these first two rules, for example, and they confuse the stinging and biting action of the good spirit in a person who is far from God and living a life of serious sin with the action of the encouraging action of the good spirit in a person who is trying to grow toward God like this man is, you know, at this point. And they understand that this biting and saddening and placing obstacles, and right now we're focusing on the disquieting with false reasons, they think that this is with goodwill. It's just that we all need formation. We, we need Ignatius to help us in this. Understand, consider that these reasons really are God's voice in their hearts. It's really discouraging. I've seen really beautiful, beautiful things happen when people realize, oh, none of that. This is really about you. Uh, none of this is going to last. You get these enthusiasms, all of this. None of that is God's voice. That's the voice of the enemy. It's a, the voice of the liar, and it can be understood and firmly rejected. Amazing freedom comes into people's lives. And I'll quote one third example of this. It's a paragraph that I love in John of the Cross in his Ascent of Mount Carmel, in which he's talking about involuntary temptations and thoughts of bad things and so forth that come to the hearts of good people and that really trouble them. You know, how can you look at you? You think you love God? Look at these thoughts in your heart. Look at you feeling drawn toward this thing, you know, which of course is something the Lord doesn't want and so forth. And if people understand that they are at fault in this, it can be very, very heavy on their hearts. 
And so he's very clear about this, that these involuntary thoughts and temptations and attractions and so forth that a person may experience, not only do not distance them from, when they reject them, obviously, Mm -hmm. not only do not distance them from God, but the fact that when they come, the person finds them displeasing and does what he or she can, as best he or she can to reject them, actually helps them to grow toward God. Then again, that's marvelously uh, liberating for people. So the enemy will attempt to, when the enemy sees a person who loves the Lord and is sincerely seeking to grow toward God, and we're not talking here about the canonized saints and so forth, who also experienced all of this, by the way. Mm-hmm. But this, this is your daily Catholic, your daily Christian, with the ups and downs of the ordinary spiritual life. When such people are trying to grow, the enemy will bring, and there's no shame in it, these false reasons attempting to disquiet. But once we become aware of them, there's the big three, understand them for the tactic of the enemy that they are, and reject them, then we find freedom. I love this in the spiritual life. Wait a minute. That's the awareness. You know, something got to look at. You know what? This isn't right. That's the understanding. However, formerly we say it's of the enemy. And you know what? I'm not going to let this stop me. That's the taking action to reject. I love that because that's freedom in the spiritual life. Again, the, the beauty of this, it, it is it's just a little book, but it's one that can not only help us, but by learning these very simple points that when we are having conversations with our spouse, with our children, maybe good friends, and we hear of their resolutions or their struggles, we may be able to say, not necessarily as a spiritual director, but maybe just as that good spiritual friend, hey, ask yourself, did it feel like this? Did it appear to be a moment like this? This is how we end up helping one another, isn't it, Father Gallagher? Very much so. And that actually anticipates Ignatius Rule 13, in which he says, don't be alone you know, in this journey and the various ways in which we can be accompanied on it. In the book, I added some reflection questions when we finish going through the four tactics of the enemy. And then again, when we go through the five tactics of the good spirit, which I think could be of help to any individual reading the book, because what the questions do is invite the person to apply to his or her own experience, what he or what she has just finished reading. But I think they could also be useful for a husband and wife together, for a group going through this little book or in any setting. So to be accompanied in it is an enormous strength. I'll never forget when time when I was very much discouraged by these tactics of the enemy and was having supper with a fellow priest friend. And he just made the kind of comment that you've just proposed, you know, not trying to be my director, but just saying, you know, it sounds like you're experiencing something of the some spiritual desolation here, which is the way Ignatius describes these kinds of tactics. And a light bulb went off, you know, and it uh, set me free to to start changing, you know, the way I was uh, responding to this. So yes, the more we can be accompanied, um, the richer all of this will be. Again, Father Gallagher, when you struggle in the spiritual life, it's such a a wonderful gem of a book. I just want to say the title over and over again because I think it's a book that everyone should have in their spiritual library. And I love the fact that, okay, the enemy Ignatius has identified uses four basic, basic ground-level tactics, which kind of spring off and may look a little bit different in different arenas, but it's essentially the four basic. God has five. 
he'll always trump them. He's never outdone. Never. If I could, I'll just read this real quick. In such persons, he says, the good spirit will give courage and strength, consolations, tears, inspirations, and quiet, easing and taking away all the obstacles. So it it's, again, we can't go into each one of these in this particular setting, but there is one that's kind of a mystery for us, and maybe you could break this open. God gives us tears. Oh, what does that look like? Sure. Yeah, Ignatius will go into this for him in his very condensed style in some detail in the following rule, rule three. One of my hopes in writing this little book is that it would serve as a gateway to the other rules. If a person says, if there's that much in rule two and it's that practical and helpful, well, I want to know what's in the other 13 rules. And so the questions that we're discussing now indicate, you know, I mentioned rule 13, for example, that came into this and now rule three. The, the rules all kind of adhere, you know, in, as, together as a single spiritual teaching. So wherever you enter into them, you're going to find yourself beginning to approach uh, the other rules. By tears, what Ignatius means is this. Tears obviously can mean all sorts of things. There can be tears of depression, of discouragement, of anger, of uh, feeling that our hearts are just ripped apart, tears of shame, and so forth. There can be many kinds of tears that express very heavy places in the heart. That's not what Ignatius has in mind here. What he means is another kind of tears that we also know, and that is a tears of joy, tears of gladness, the tears that spring to our eyes when we find out that we're loved more than we realized, tears that come to our hearts when maybe on an anniversary or a birthday, a love is poured out upon us, tears when uh, something works out in the life of our college-age son or daughter who's been struggling, and, and so forth. These are happy tears, blessed tears, tears that express something strengthening and joyful in our hearts. So uh, let me maybe um, take the same approach and uh, just give some examples of, of this as well. Here is a man who is faithful to the Lord, goes to daily Mass, prays for 20 minutes each morning uh, with Scripture, with the daily Gospel usually. But the last couple of weeks have been heavy and discouraging. Maybe at work things have been troubling. Uh, maybe there are burdens in the family. There are some physical issues that his wife or himself or a family member is facing, whatever the situation might be. And prayer has felt drier. God has not felt as close in the last 10 days, two weeks. Today he is, has gone to daily Mass and remains for 20 minutes to pray uh, afterwards. Let's say it's a few days after Easter, and the gospel is the disciples on the way to Emmaus. And as he's reading this, something kind of strikes him because he sees the similarity. These two disciples are discouraged. Uh, they've lost heart, and they're basically walking away you know, from all of their hopes and the community. And as he reads this, he sees this to them stranger uh, approach and um, not reprimand them in any way, just get them to talk about what's in their heart. And he sees their sadness and they pour out the story of their discouragement. And all of this uh, really speaks to what he's feeling uh, today as he's praying. And then he gets to the point where they have reached the inn, evening is falling, and now they don't want the stranger to go. Something has happened in their hearts, as they'll say later. Their slow hearts have become burning hearts. 
And they make that prayer, which all of us have made uh, maybe often in our lives, stay with us, Lord. Darkness is falling. Evening is falling. Stay with us. And he sees how Jesus responds to this. Jesus sets aside his journey, goes in with them. And of course, we know the sequel in the meal. He has revealed to them new energy and hope and faith are born in their hearts. They retrace their steps and go back to the community as witnesses of the resurrection. But when he sees this point, when they make this prayer, which is his this morning, stay with me, Lord, darkness is falling, that Jesus welcomes that prayer and responds and accompanies them. Just the beginning of a tear comes to his eye. You're with me, Lord. You see the darkness and the heaviness in my heart. You won't abandon me. You'll see me through. This is the kind of tears of which Ignatius speaks in this tactic of the good spirit. And you can see the, how enormously strengthening this is. What's happening here is this is the bodily expression or the physical incarnation of the warm and encouraging and strengthening grace that's been given. I'll just give a second example. Here is a woman who is going to confession, and she has something that she knows she needs to say, and it's going to take some courage to say it, but she's determined that she's going to do it, but it's hard for her. And her time for confession comes, uh, she enters the confessional, and with some struggle, but openly and with courage, she says what she needs to say, and is received with great kindness and sensitivity and goodness by the priest, and his words already begin to lift the burden from her heart. And then when he pronounces the words of absolution, the burden is completely lifted. And even as she still is already kneeling there in confession, a tear and maybe more uh, come to her eyes. These are beautiful tears of what Ignatius would call spiritual consolation. And you can see how enormously strengthening this is in a person who is seeking, who loves the Lord and is seeking to grow toward God. So this is just one of the tactics that Ignatius um, describes as a gift. And now we've all, we've all experienced it. I know as I'm saying this, every one of us can remember times when we've experienced tears like that. You know, what's coming to mind is when I was provincial and I was in my final year, my 10th year, so I'd been at it a long time and quite heavy responsibilities and I was pretty worn. And it came time to make the annual visitation to all of our communities around the country, which I would do every year, meet with all the men individually so that I would know where all the men were and what their needs might be and how we could plan for the future. But the thought of traveling around the country and with such tiredness was just very heavy on my heart. And I shared this with the four priests who were my provincial council. We would have periodic meetings to discuss various things and found that they were well aware of this. And this is permitted by our legislation uh, that the counselors can also do those visitations. And they volunteered. They said, look, we know you're tired. This year, if you're open to it, we'll do it for you. When we finished meeting, I went and sat before the Blessed Sacrament with just deep gratitude in my heart. Somebody had seen the situation and had offered to help. And there was more than one tear there. I mean, th this is the kind of strengthening of which Ignatius is speaking in this beautiful tactic. Well, that's one of them. Add the other four and you can see the power of grace, you know. That's why, as I say, you know, this is all about hope. Yeah, the power of grace. And being able to receive that, to be aware of it, to understand it. And then sometimes it's uh, allowing it to carry us, isn't it? 
Yeah, that that's the bottom line in this whole thing. You know, sometimes, I mean, there are all sorts of nuances on this, but sometimes we can be very aware of the enemy and the discouraged. And again, I don't mean in dramatic ways, but just daily of the discouraging tactics of the enemy and not aware enough of the bigger part of the picture, which is, um, as Jesus says, you know, when a strong man guards his possessions, they're safe. But when someone stronger than he comes and strips away his armor, he despoils him. And that's the good spirit. We're on the winning side in this. And so it, it really is blessed to focus, and I'd say at length, certainly much more than we generally do on the ways in which the good spirit is every day at work, that close to our hearts that when this man is praying in his discouragement uh, on that text about the disciples on the way to Emmaus, that the good spirit is giving just the gift that he needs. You know, that's there every day in our lives. And so to be aware of that, to understand it for the action of the, in this case, it's, oh, that's the awareness Oh, this is so helpful. That's the understanding. Thank you, Lord. And just, you know, just opening our hearts to receive it. That's to be aware, understand, take action, accept in this case, which is the more important thing in the spiritual life. If you look at the two things, what God does in the spiritual life and how the enemy attempts to discourage us from that, both are important, both are real, but obviously what is primary, absolutely is what God is doing. And so that's always the most important thing in the spiritual life. And we know that by experience too, that's when we open our hearts to this loving, strengthening action of the good spirit that we grow so much. But it is, having said that, it is also very, very liberating to be aware of and name, understand these four tactics of the enemy and firmly reject them because that safeguards and opens up the path for the action of God in our lives. Hence the subtitle of the wonderful book, When You Struggle in the Spiritual Life, An Ignatian Path to Freedom. And you mentioned it earlier, Father, you have so many helps, the, the great reflection questions, the very clear presentation of the rules. I love the fact that you will give essentially what has been the traditional articulation of the rules, which sometimes can be difficult to our modern ears. So that you also offer a contemporary rendering of the rules, which kind of are, make it just a little easier for some to be able to receive and perceive the great path that's laid out before them. And so there are so many reasons why people in, I'm going to say one more time, when you struggle in the spiritual life and Ignatian path to freedom is such a gem of a book. We just thank you so much, Father Gallagher, and the good folks once again at Crossroads Publishing to bring us these wonderful roadmaps. I wish we had more time. Any final thoughts, Father? Well, I'm just grateful to have this uh, opportunity to talk about something that is so valuable as this. This book came about because when I was doing a larger book on the 14 rules, the editor with whom I was working, when I sent him the chapter on this uh, second rule, he wrote to me in his comments and said, you know, this could actually be a separate book on his own. <laughs> and that's where the thought was uh, planted in my, my mind, and I never forgot it. So that was maybe, I don't know, five, six, seven years ago. And uh, it just seemed like it was right now to do that. And I'm so glad that it's been possible to do this. For me, what it does is it just reveals in a new way I'd say the endless richness of these 14 rules. I mean, you can get this close to one of them, 
then you want to know, well, what's there in the other ones as well. So yeah, thank you for giving me the opportunity to share about it. Oh, I can't wait for the next book on Rule 13. (laughs) There'll be another discussion for another day, I'm sure. Sure. Father Timothy Gallagher, thank you so much. Thank you, Chris. With Father Timothy Gallagher, we've gone inside the pages of When You Struggle in the Spiritual Life, An Ignatian Path to Freedom. To learn more about this book or to obtain a copy, go to CrossroadPublishing.com, the website for its publisher, Crossroad Publishing, or you can find it at any fine Catholic bookstore. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit DiscerningHearts.com, or you can find it within the Discerning Hearts free app. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel it's worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax deductible to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about discerninghearts.com and join us next time for Inside the Pages, insights from today's most compelling authors.